Hello and welcome to the Remaining Sane, Finding Peace in Our Chaos podcast, a podcast about both theology and police work. I'm your host, Will, and in today's episode, I interview a current priest in Anglican Church of North America, Phil Hanner. Hey, Phil, how are you? Doing well, thank you. How are you? Good. Um, before we get started, would you mind giving us a background as to who you are, um, any experience with law enforcement, just to, you know, five, ten minutes about Phil Hanner? Sure, happy to. Um, I grew up in a uh, kind of military home. My dad worked for the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, which I know is a, now a popular TV show. Um, my dad likes to remind me that it's nothing like his work. Uh, but uh, my family uh, grew up um, with just a, a wonderful family. My father and mother were stayed together, uh, which is a real gift. Um, and I was born in Spain. My dad was working at a Navy base over there. And we moved around a lot. I'd say every two to three years as a family. Uh, and uh, frankly, I really enjoyed it. Um, my parents were very open to, to culture and introducing us to new experiences. And um, it was just a, it was a wonderful home to grow up in. Um, but my father was a, um, well, I never really knew all that he did, uh, except that a lot of it had to do with counterterrorism. And um, that's something I probably didn't even fully understand or appreciate as a kid. Um, but uh, he did a really good job at, at his job. And it was kind of neat sometimes to hear stories later on about um, maybe cases that he solved or, you know, things, once things were no longer uh, secret or whatever, you were able to share them. Um, it, it was neat. Um, my father, one thing that I think he did a really good job at was not bringing his work home with him. And I know that's really hard uh, for most people, uh, myself included as a priest. Um, but he did a really good job at sort of leaving his work at the door and then coming in and then just engaging. I think being present. Um, and most of us know when we're talking to someone, you know, even now, I think this particular context is unique because in being recorded and intentionally talking maybe softer and slower, we're both listening and engaging in a way that frankly, it, we don't get to do much, you know, maybe it, with the exception of over coffee or and something like that. It's just a unique context. But so I want to touch on that. You said sure. uh, your dad did a good job of, you know, not taking his work home. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, you know, and that's something we've talked about before, like having to, to cleanse yourself mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the, the things that are around you. Right. Um, and I know that there's parallels there being a priest, being clergy sure. that you get exposed to all kinds of of you know the bad stuff going on right um yeah and i I think that especially um a local police officer is has has a special parallel to a like a local just a a um not a bishop or not a um you know any kind of archbishop but you know a like a local priest, a, a local priest right Mm -hmm. like a you know or a local pastor right whatever tradition you're from Mm -hmm. because the the sin that you may see is you, you're I don't want to say you're living in it but you're living around it right, right? like you, you know you you see this person like you know people may bring stuff to you and then you see these people and you know that you know all, all this stuff's going on and it's hard to um, to like not just internalize it right? sure and you know not to like feel like you're almost becoming 
part of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think, um, uh, you know, when Jesus said, you know, uh, be in the world, but not of it, uh, that's kind of a challenging uh, notion for a police officer or or a pastor. Because, you know, for me, someone who comes in and confesses sin, I might see a Trader Joe's. And for you, you probably have the same thing where you might have arrested a guy and then a week or two later with your family getting ice cream, see them out. It's a, it's a challenge for sure. Or he moves in two houses down from you. Yeah. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, true, true, true story. Um, the very, not the first, but I think the second arrest that I ever had found out the dude was my neighbor. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. And it was, a, it was, a, it was a pretty bad one too. So, you know, that, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, so you, you grew up uh, yeah. moving around. Mm-hmm. How did you end up? becoming a priest. uh, Well, um, eventually, uh, after during, during college. So during college, um, my, um, my parents and I had just some difficulty. Some of it was sin. Some of it was just communication. Some of it was foolishness and and perhaps just, um, needing some guidance. Um, but we were, we were able to reconcile through some of our struggles. Uh, we actually met with the local pastor of our church and um, were able to confess some sin and, and also maybe uh, invite a, a, an outside party to kind of weigh in to some of our struggles. And we, we had all had some uh, difficulties and frustrations and, and even just some uh, anger in the way we, we dealt with one another. Um, and it was in being confronted um, by some of the patterns of our relationship, um, by a pastor that really freed us up to maybe seek repentance and reconciliation for the first time in a very meaningful way. And it was through that, that I really began to love, um, God and the, the grace and the mercy that he affords us. But not only that, but the, the wisdom that he wants to offer us to grow so that we're no longer enslaved by those former patterns. Um, and so, you know, the, the human condition is one of, you know, we're, we're sinful, we're weak, uh, sometimes we're insecure and we're victims and we, we victimize other people. We do all those things. And so we need both healing and forgiveness. And Jesus alone, I think, affords that in a way that's meaningful. That's something I want to touch on, um, is the fact that licentiousness is not freedom. And I think especially like this is a, a unique American problem um, in so much as we in this country we have a tradition of freedom right quote unquote freedom having personal liberty right uh, one of the big reasons why the first people that came to this this continent was to escape religious persecution right um, and so but one of the things that I think that you know a lot of people don't understand today is that sin enslaves you and you being quote unquote free to sin all it is is you diving farther and farther into slavery mm-hmm. and 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 so in today's culture you know we may even celebrate sin mm-hmm. and the fact of the matter is all celebrating sin does is enslave you further mm-hmm. because sin is this um the, the the way that I the way that I like to um, to almost see it is like is it's this weight or it's like this anchor that just continues to get heavier and heavier and you're just struggling and eventually it pulls you under and you can't get away from it unless you have some kind of drastic um, 
you, unless you have some kind of change of the the patterns in which you're living your life, right? A classic example of this would be, um, I think, for men, you know, a huge huge issue is pornography, or and, um, and I think someone that maybe doesn't have an understanding of why pornography is wrong mm-hmm. would just say, you know, I, you know, I watch pornography or I cheat on my wife or, or this, that, and the other. And like, why is it wrong? And like, well, mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is not only does that have physical ramifications, won't get farther into those, but it does condition your mind to look at women in, let me rephrase that. It conditions your mind to look at women not as people but as objects. I think part that's part of it, and then part of it is it is it just creates. I think that um, there's been some some recent research that has shown that if someone consistently watches pornography from a young age, they have a hard time um, controlling their their impulses or like make having a bad decision-making faculties or they're not fully developed and so that enslaves you because then you're 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 stuck in the cycle where you can't make or where you just want to you know go willy-nilly towards a bunch of different things and you can't really make a decision or decide um, or the decisions you make you're not too sure of and it just kind of like leaves you just continuing to fall further down into um, you know this, this pit of sin right mm-hmm. yeah um, and so one of the things that I want to get to is um, in our church tradition, yeah. what, you know, the way in which that we we start moving away from that, moving mm-hmm. away from licentiousness, is you know, first of all, addressing it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we make we can actually confess, right? Calling it what it is, yeah, <laughs> and then asking for asking for forgiveness for it, right? Correct. But then you know, making some kind of substantial change, not only in our heads, but in our bodies that, you know, would, would promote a long-term change against the sin. And I, right. you know, once again, I, um, I looked for, when I think about, you know, problems with pornography of common cure for that for men is fasting mm-hmm. because the one thing that's going to override <laughs> your sex drive is your hunger <laughs> correct and so you know that's been a common cure ever since you know the days of of you know the apostles mm-hmm. um, all the way back to I mean Augustine talked about it a bunch right right um, you have any thoughts I do I think what you're saying is so true um, particularly I mean starting with freedom if you want to start with freedom um, I think traditionally in Greek and Roman and Judeo-Christian worldview freedom was your capacity to do what is right and virtuous before God now, I think that freedom has been reassigned into this sort of liberty to do whatever you damn well please. And that is not freedom. That, as you pointed out, is enslavement and, in fact, the road to damnation. And so when we talk about freedom, um, you know, when, when you, we talk about a bird, for example, uh, the greatest expression of freedom in a bird is flying. And so if you see a bird awkwardly walking on the ground like a peregrine falcon or some awesome bird of prey, it's actually grievous. And you realize that's, you're not living into your potential freedom. And I think the same is true for us as people. If we're created in God's image and God has a design for us, 
then our greatest expression of freedom is denying those things which are harmful and living into our capacity as image bearers of God to do what is right and noble and good. And so I think you're absolutely right there. And, and so sin struggles and, and weakness struggles, and uh, specifically pornography, as you pointed out, is such a, a tragic snare that constantly holds you back. And that, I think, is, is the way traditionally we've seen you know, sin as both an offense against God, an ensnarement in your life that prevents you from exercising your true freedom. Um, but you're right. Uh, part of the way in which we exercise that self-control is by maybe starting with self-control somewhere else so that we can begin to show self-control in the area of Internet pornography especially. And so when we do fast, we're reminded that we can deny ourselves and still survive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that same, that the same is true with pornography or, for example, maybe getting rid of your cell phone. Uh, sometimes you have to take extreme measures in order to release something that's holding you hostage. And so for some people, I know, I know a lot of young men now that have flip phones. And it's really hard to look at pornography on a flip phone uh, by the grace of God, right? So, um, so I think a willingness sometimes to sacrifice uh, will actually strengthen you to, to sacrifice in other areas. I think of like your interest in physical fitness. And a lot of police officers are, are very physically fit. But sometimes, it, and I wish it translated more, but my hope is that, that that sort of physical discipline would translate into discipline in other areas. This is 100%. This is, we got into the last episode. Um, that what started my conversion from, you know, I don't want to say I was ever a nihilist, but I was like a nun, right? The, the N-O-N-E, right? Oh, sure, sure, yeah. sure. Um, I was uh, just kind of, you know, didn't, was very ambivalent about God. Maybe, you know, I went to church, but didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what got me to, to realize that, uh, that God exists is that realizing that I'm, you know, we're embodied and it was through physical fitness that I understood the concept of, um, of self-discipline and then beyond that started understanding some of these Christian virtues. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, became, I've since become, you know, that, that has led me not only to a more liturgical sacramental lifestyle, Right. But it has also led me towards the profession that I have, you know, towards mm-hmm. the, really the vocation mm-hmm. that I have, mm-hmm. which is, you know, being a law enforcement officer because it involves not only working in, with you know, my mind, mm-hmm. but it also involves working with my body. And I right. think that that's important. I agree. Um, because if we're stuck one way or the other, mm-hmm. then you know, we, we can really neglect the, the um, you know, however you want to break up the, the human body, whether it be, you know, body mind and and uh, soul or right uh, c.s lewis says the the the, the head the heart and the gut mm-hmm. um however you want to break it up if you if we don't work on one then we neglect the others no i i agree and i think the the what you're pointing out is, is a type of freedom um i think of your you know uh, strength training uh, actually equips you to do things like maybe lift your child with greater ease or something like that. And the reality is I think there is a sort of invisible line within most disciplines um, where we, the more disciplined we are, actually the more freedom we have to do certain things. (laughs) So the more you exercise, the more freedom you have to say hike mountains or uh, in your case, again, if you study, uh, you know, um, grammar 
and uh, word, uh, memorization and that sort of thing, um, eventually you can learn another language. And so freedom for someone who has put in the work of a language looks like being able to switch from English to Spanish rather quickly in, in talking to two different people at a party. Right, but that is freedom. Freedom is actually your capacity to do something that's truly good, a la speaking a different language with someone else and appreciating them wherever they're from. But it only comes through discipline. Mm -hmm. And so, whether it's physical fitness uh, or uh, language or uh, even maybe fighting sin, the the freedom that we're hoping for is no longer being enslaved to something that was ruining us. And so, I think of like, for example, with internet pornography. Uh, one thing that's always like really encouraging, you know, when I meet with young men who are struggling with this is that moment when something pops up the internet and you hit the X button, Mm -hmm. you know, where you, you know, you had the, you had the temptation to click on something, but you hit X instead because you then had the freedom to say no to something that would have been very easy and no one would have even caught you. How, but how, how empowering is that? For someone to say, I could have done something that would have led me down a path to destruction, but instead I very quickly said no. And I took a different route. And that's, it, 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 you, there's actually a joy to it. Um, and I, I, I love walking with young men, especially. And, and lots of, all, all kinds of people struggle with it, please. And so yeah. uh, th- there's no sin which most people don't struggle with. No, if, if there is a man that says that he's never struggled with pornography, then he is a liar. <laughs> Not only does he struggle with pornography, then he, he also struggles with lying. Sure. Yeah. No, yeah. Or, or he's Amish and just never had access to the internet. I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. Um, so transitioning just a bit, um, one of the, so one of the problems that, you know, we have is that, um, we, even with, you know, whether it be alcohol or whether it be, um, you know, pornography like we talked about, or whether it be, um, you know, gossip, lying, you know, just whatever sin, mm-hmm. being a police officer, you are going to get exposed to mm-hmm. sin happens all the time. Sure, almost all, um, almost all law breaking also involves a sinful element. Getting beyond, yeah, for sure. You know, you know and I, I get it. Like the the petty stuff, like you know, driving out a seatbelt or you mm-hmm. know, uh, jaywalking, driving out license, you know, <laughs> yeah, jaywalking, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's not really. Yeah. But um, you know, once you start getting into like domestic violence or, mm-hmm. you know, heck DUI or, mm-hmm. um, and, and once again, aggravated assault, murder, rape, sure. whatever, you know, you get exposed to a lot of these, these bad things. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and, and something else we talked about, not only do we see them, we touch them, mm-hmm. we smell them, we unfortunately sometimes we taste them like right. that's disgusting but sometimes it just happens you know some and and so um how do we cleanse that before we go back into our our house right now that's a million dollar question absolutely i think you know when i think about jesus one of the unique things about him was that when he touched unclean people he made them clean uh, I don't have that same power. <laughs> and so, uh, as you pointed out, I will often experience great evil, um, adultery. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm tempted to sin in all the ways in which people, you know, come to me, but there are some that I most assuredly am. And uh, anger, um, you know, I may not have murdered someone, but I certainly struggle with anger, uh, lust, uh, envying what other people have. And there's all kinds of ways in which. I can struggle, and any one of us can struggle, but I think you're right. Experiencing 
the hardship and difficulty and sin that other people are going through and not taking it on or allowing one of the thoughts that maybe someone even had or mentioned or something like that and allowing that to sort of cogitate in your mind is a challenge. So, when, so sometimes when someone confesses, oh, I was struggling with pornography or I wanted to commit adultery or something like that, a seed can be sown in my own mind that I can't water. And I think one of the difficult things that I've always struggled with is saying, like, well, I, how do I not bring the worries and anxieties of work back into my home? And that has always been a challenge. I remember um, I used to be a social worker, and when this concept was first sort of uh, thrust into my face, was I, I was probably 23, 24 years old, and I was um, standing outside of a school where I was a behavioral specialist with you know the troublesome kids, whatever however you want to say it, and uh, I said good morning to a student, and he tried to punch me in the face. <laughs> And uh, thankfully he missed. I was a bit quicker when I was younger, I suppose. I don't know. But, uh, uh, or, but he was a good kid overall. And I said, why did you punch me? I had to discipline him, of course. So I took him into the office. I said, why did you just try to punch me? And he goes, my dad got angry with me this morning, and so you were an adult, and I got angry at you. And it just really made the connection there. You know, he brought it to school. And I can do that in a very similar way if I go home with whatever stuff I'm dealing with. Yeah. And so I want to be careful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, we'd, uh, if you talk to any police officer who's, you know, mom or dad, I, I don't know any cop that doesn't, you know, delve into that cop talking mentality or that, that cop talk, right, to, with their kids because there, there are parallels to it, right? Oh, for you know, sure. You know, we, I joke that all I do is, a, is deal with adult children all day. <laughs> um, but, and, but, you know, unfortunately, that, that's kind of true. And, but I can't treat my kid like I treat somebody on the street. Right, right, right for sure. Um, and because the, the, there, there are ontological differences between the people that I deal with oh, yeah. and my kid, especially how I'm related to those people. Yes, right? absolutely. Um, and so side note, um, reminder, so ontology or ontological basically means the way in which something is. So my relationship with my kid is a different relationship than the relationship I have with someone that I meet on the street. So, and I assume that the same stuff happens, you know, being a priest, right? Absolutely. Like you, you want to kind of deal with your, your kids or, or maybe sometimes, unfortunately, maybe your wife or other family members as you would when you're parishioners, but they're different. And yeah. so it, it's yeah. kind of strange, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a degree to which you want to almost switch gears a little bit when you come home. Um, knowing that, you know, uh, home, while may, you might have some chaos, is, is, is more of a safe place where the way you engage is different. The types of dynamics that you experience are going to be a bit different. Um, and also, you don't want to um, take whatever emotional energy or spiritual energy, what do you want to say, that you're bringing back from work and then sort of treat your kids differently or treat your wife differently or your, your husband differently as a result of that. Um, I think that's, that's one thing that's really difficult is, is, uh, finding a place to sort of say, I'm going to take off whatever, whatever's polluted you, you know, like if you've dealt with, if you, you know, if you got blood on you, you'd probably want to take a shower, right? Like if you got some kind of gross thing on you, you need to wash yourself. And, and there's a degree to which we kind of need to do the same thing with our hearts and minds, mm -hmm. right? We want to come home and, and have, uh, uh, 
we're not trying to add to the drama of the home. You know, when I go home, my wife has already been, you know, probably dealing with some knockout drag outs with three boys. And, uh, and so I want to make sure that we're, I, I'm, I'm participating towards the peace of the house and to, the, to bless my wife rather than bringing all of my struggles in and then just adding to the pile. And I think that's really difficult for most of us. Um, so that, that's a huge struggle. Especially after a long shift, right? Because, right. you know, because um, once again, another thing that cops are infamous for doing is working long, long hours. And then I would, I would dare to say that working a, a shift as a police officer, kind of like working a shift for uh, like at a, some kind of like hardcore or hard labor plant or, um, you know, not something where you go into an office, but right. you're actually out there doing physically doing something. It's a little bit harder to come home and not bring more stress because sure. you've been dealing with stress and people and all, all, all these bad things all day. Right. Yeah. Not to mention maybe even some of your coworkers who are dealing with their own stuff as well. And so this is why I think it's important. Um, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if other people do this as well, but I, I think it's very important that when I get home that my, my, uh, my clothes, my vestments of being a police officer come off mm -hmm. because I'm not a cop when I'm at the house. Right. Right. Um, and that I take that stuff and move it away and mm -hmm. I don't look at it. Right. Um, uh, because it's, you know, it's not who I am at the house. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm at the house. I'm a dad. Yeah. I'm a husband. For Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so Phil kind of along these lines, I know that another thing that we've talked about with vocations is that um, they are their callings. They're not right. Vocations are work, sure, but they are also a calling to a certain kind of work, right? And one of the differences between a vocation and just an occupation mm -hmm. is that most anyone, most anyone's skill set can fulfill a certain vocation, but a certain occupation requires a certain skill set. So what I'm saying is all kinds of different people, like everyone from a philosopher to a farm, a farm hand mm -hmm. has certain skills that can contribute to the calling, to the vocation of being a cop or sure. clergy or firefighter, you know, something like that. Right. Yep. Um, but some of the, like, but ha having a farm hand be an accountant, it's going to be, there may be a couple of things that overlap, but it may be a little bit more difficult to make that transition. Um, but one of the things about vocations is I, th I think that almost universally they, they become, they, they, they bear on you over time. Um, and a lot of times, especially in positions of, you know, clergy, police officer, um, I, I put nurse up here. Mm. Um, oh yeah. 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 Uh, it is, it, it really wears on you. Um, and so would you mind, you know, talking about, how to deal with, you know, burnout. Sure. Well, I think what's interesting is you, as you say that, you know, I, I used to be a therapist before I was a priest and I have often met with people and just, just listened, you know, for the most part. And, um, it, as you say that it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Nurses, police officers, um, sometimes believe it or not pastors too. Do you, the average lifespan of a pastor is five years. Did you know that? Uh, I did not. Yeah. So a lot of people, uh, get emotionally wrought, you know, uh, fr like fraught with struggle or things don't work out the, w the way they want. Um, and so uh, they burn out. 
Um, I know with police officers, there's a lot of burnout, nurses. But also I think there's just a lot of coping mechanisms that people use. Uh, sometimes it's alcohol. Uh, sometimes it's just uh, maybe not pornography, but just like drowning yourself in TV. Uh, sometimes it's eating. Uh, there's lots of ways in which we can um, allow ourselves to indulge as a form of escape. But I think it was, you know, in, in the Psalms, there's this wonderful example that kind of rings through the psalm and that's just asking the lord for help and that's the theme probably one of the most important themes in the psalms and i remember in seminary i had a professor that said this he said when you're struggling you will either call out to god or you'll call out to an alcohol bottle or you'll call out to porn or you'll call out to something else and i think he's right like we have to do something with the anxieties and the struggles and the, the overwhelming sensation that we're alone in the world or that no one understands our struggles like we do or you know all the, all the sort of temptations I think that all of us have. And if we don't have places where we can sort of take our burdens and lay them down, whether that's with someone else like a friend or with, with God, um, it would, would be obviously, you know, I'm biased here, but, you know, as a pastor, uh, uh, then we, we will turn to something else for hope and help in our time of need. Right, that's a very biblical language. Yeah. We're looking for hope and help in our time of need. And I think burnout can often happen if we don't have um, some preparation, uh, some plan to say, when I'm going to struggle, I, I know where I'm going to turn. Or I know these are some ways in which I can find rest. So I think you know when you have long shifts like you're talking about, sometimes 12, 15, 16-hour shifts, um, you know... It's hard for me to watch because I, I know that those people are struggling to serve our community and essentially laying down their lives for the community. And then when they come home, if they don't have tools to say, what are you going to do with the transitions? I think the transitions are hard, right? To come home and like you were pointing out, say, I'm taking this vestment or this sign of, of that identity off and embracing my God-given identity as a father or, or a husband or what have you. If we don't have a plan for that, I think we will we'll kind of slip into whatever's easy. And for a lot of people, it's just maybe an extra glass of wine, then two. <laughs> then we find out that we're drinking whole bottles. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, and, and, and I'm not even judging. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the same happens with um, uh, pills. So many people will get into a car accident and your neck hurts for a little while and then the pills feel good. And then next thing you know, you're refilling them. You don't really need them. You know what I mean? And so there's a sense in which uh, we can kind of slide into whatever feels good and is easy, yeah. you know? And so I think we need to, I think like you said earlier, we just need to call things what they are, um, you know, and, and, and address. I, my temptation tonight is to forget about work by doing this thing. Yeah. And if we don't have, I'd say positive can be sort of maybe therapeutic, but if we don't have good, ways in which we can deal with our stressors, deal with our, our problems, people who can help bear those burdens with us, then I think invariably we will turn to something that will be our own destruction. Yeah, there's a um, officer that works at our department that he will only pick up his phone for other police officers during the uh, 40 hours that week he's working. He will not answer texts, he will not answer right. emails, he won't do anything else. Only when he's working is when uh, he'll have any engagement with being a police officer. Sure. And he's better for it. Um, I think that that is a, is a really good practice because um, he's you know not thinking about being a cop. He's just, he lives his life, he goes to work, 
and he doesn't internalize any of the stuff that's going on right he doesn't he's not just carrying that around with him all the time sure Uh, i think with that we're going to take a quick break Alrighty, and we're back. So, Phil, one of the things that you mentioned before the break is that in order for us to combat some of these um, these sinful behaviors that you know can take hold of us, is that we need to have good practices for you know when we make the transition back to our home life. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about what are what are some of those uh, practices that we can take? You know, an actual example. Um, you know, maybe it's not going to apply to everybody, mm-hmm. but what's a good example of, of something that someone can do who is maybe struggling with us? Sure, sure. Um, I think when we're recognizing that we're having difficulty, maybe that's perhaps one of the hardest things. Like, what's the canary in the coal mine, right? Um, maybe it's yelling at your kid when you're like, why Why did I even yell at my kid or something like that? Or or realizing that, like, watching your Netflix account, I spent three hours watching shows tonight. Why did I do that? You know, or whatever. Um, once you maybe realize that, I think starting to, starting to acknowledge, man, I might want to turn a corner and start to fill my time with something else. Um you know, um, I think you're healthier than I am, but, uh, one thing I like to do is I don't want to eat my vegetables. Like in general, I would say like, that's not something I want to do. So some, I don't either. You're feeling better. <laughs> Fair enough. I hate Fair eating enough. vegetables. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. Well, see, but, but at the same point, I think you know that your body will feel better mm-hmm. if you do eat them. Right. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, for me, uh, the sort of, uh, the same principle can apply. I say, I joke sometimes my, my primary job as a pastor is to sort of say, eat your spiritual vegetables, you know, you know uh, to make practices and habits that inform the way you live and think and feel. Because, you know, sometimes I don't feel like eating vegetables, but I do it because I know that it will affect my day, um, even though I may not realize it in the moment because my feelings are betraying the truth, right? And I think for a lot of us, our feelings can betray the truth. And when we come back or, or when we're thinking about job, when we're, maybe we're, when we're working or when we're coming home from work, uh, we may have already resigned ourselves in our minds to say, man, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I think a lot of times um, evil can, can take place in the context of someone who is bored and is um, maybe uncreative. uncreative. I think of my own kids. You know, if my if I don't if my kids aren't doing something, they're going to gravitate towards wrestling or hitting each other in the face. And I think as as adults, we do that in maybe different ways. Yeah, boredom is the workshop of the devil, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, one of the things that you actually mentioned on a different podcast is that one of the things that you implore families that are at your parish to do is to pray as a family yeah, right exactly and you know um sometimes you don't feel like doing it yeah right um, but it's still a good thing to do it right? absolutely um, absolutely like I- one of the things that you know our family does is um 
oh, I've, I've tried to do in with the, the days that I'm off and actually see them is do the evening, like the, the five, 10 minute um, daily Anglican prayer. Yeah. Right. The evening prayers, because we're all together. We all sit together. We all say the same thing. You know, it, my kid may be, you know, screaming and crying, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. jumping up and down, whatever, but it's still a good thing to physically actually do this thing. Even if we're not quote unquote feeling it, even right. if it's not right. just like some extemporaneous wanting to do this, it's still a good thing to do it. Absolutely. Right? And your kid might not remember the words, you know, five years from now, but what they will remember is that mom and dad valued this mom and dad valued being thankful to God and being humble and acknowledging that, um, there's a God who cares for them, uh, together for, for, uh, an intentional time every night. Cause it's, and we, we know this, um, it's one thing to, to say that these things are important to you. And it's another thing to stand up and, and do these things. Right. right. Like everyone can talk about how good it is to be physically fit. Sure. But it takes someone actually doing it to turn around and, and you know, actually mean something to them. Right. right. Well, I think what's interesting that just a point that I think you're making is when you do exercise or when you um, engage in a discipline, the action itself exercise is good and beneficial, but also the product is good and beneficial, you know, strength, heart health, um, cardiovascular improvement, that sort of thing. And I think the same is true when you're thinking about um, avoiding burnout is how do I make plans and preparations that will be good for me in a long-term sense, even though I might not see the initial gain within, say, a day or two days or three days. And I think uh, embracing old patterns, like well-worn paths, can actually be enormously helpful. You just mentioned uh, in embracing a, a, a prayer life. Um, and the, the ritual of a daily prayer is thousands of years old, yeah. you know, so you're participating in a long history of saints who have gone before you who have prayed the same prayers yeah. for maybe 2000 years. Yeah. That's something that Dr. Barnard talked about, uh, previous guest is that the Christian stories, the stories in the Bible become our stories and then our stories join with the Christian body, Right. Like, you know, my very tiny minuscule story does become part of the grand story of Christ. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I think it's important for us to realize this, you know, we're not the center of the universe. We're not, but we only see the universe through our eyes. Like we only interact with the universe through our five senses. Right. But we're not the center of it, but we're. We, we can fall very easily into the, you know, pride is the root of all sin, right? Sure. It's believing that we are the ones that matter the most above others. Right. Right. And so because, you know, it's, it's a universal human failure that we continue to, to see the world as revolving around us mm-hmm. as opposed to other people, um, that negates the, that, that, Doing that, seeing the world through just your own eyes and not realizing that other people matter, right? Mm-hmm. Believing yourself to be better than other people makes it so that your story can't be added to the greater story because you value yourself more than you value Christ, yeah. right? 
right and 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 you know in christ there in the saints and there's other people around you right that's right um and so i think it's very important for us to to become humble and realize that um you know i've i've got a very small minute story here mm-hmm. and if this podcast or whatever i do does anything to help come help someone else come to christ you know, that's what i want the most what i want is people to be involved in the body of Christ and for their right. story to be joined with Christ. Absolutely. Not with my story, you know, who cares about Will's story, right? That's right. It's it's I've got a whole lot of really crazy, you know, really weird police stories that I can get into. Well but it's I, not I think what's interesting yeah. by the way is you, what you're pointing out, your story does matter to the body. In other words, like in in submitting yourself to a body, your 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 stories actually matter more. You know, when when you make yourself less what you provide is the opportunity for people to engage with you such that your stories actually become more important because they are, they're a part of a, a family. And I think that's like so often we're trying to celebrate ourselves such that we miss the joy of struggling alongside of other people. I think if you remember, there was a band called Pink Floyd and uh, prophets, absolute prophets. But they said in, in this uh, song called Wish You Were Here, uh, they actually say, you traded a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage. I think that's really how much of our thinking sort of can ruin us, is to think of ourselves, I'd rather be important you know, in a corner than participating in the bigger story. In, in a war, you know, World War II especially, it was, there, there's, there's, a, there's a noble end. Uh, and it's dangerous, and it's not about you, and all you've got is your family that you're with, uh, essentially attempting to achieve a bigger cause. Now, I'm not trying to glamorize war, please understand. But what I am saying is, is if you don't make life all about you, you actually find that you're more important because you're integral to the people around you. Yeah, you become part of this, this great, I don't want to be heretical here, so, <laughs> but this great perfect story, right? Sure. You become... Oh yeah, yeah. God's story is perfect for yes, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that you, you know, your your story contributes to this this greater, to you know, eventually his 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 coming back, right? That that's where it's going to end. Yeah, right. Right. Um, in that, you know, this meantime, this this waiting time, the seventh day that we're in right now sure. is is the the buildup for that. Yeah, and and you know, we don't know. If it's going to be tomorrow, we don't know if it's going to be a million years. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's we we have, we have to have faith, hope, and trust mm-hmm. that God is going to come back. Absolutely, right. And in the meantime, God's given us tools to grow until yes. then. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I like to think about with people, especially as they're struggling with. You know, dealing with real problems. I mean, the the thing is, like, we don't belittle or make make less. The issues that people are experiencing, you know, police officers, nurses, anyone dealing with people and pain and sorrow are going to bring that home with them. And we don't have to pretend like it doesn't exist. You know, we're not, we're not ostriches, you know, with their head in the sand. We embrace the reality that life is hard. Um, you know, in Job, uh, we read, man is born into struggle. Surely as the sparks fly upward yeah. and it's okay. It's okay to struggle. But what we do with that struggle is so important, and I think that's why it's so helpful to have a plan, um, to think about yourself and your situation, to think about your family, to think about those around you, um, and then also maybe even to, to find other activities in your life that you can learn to enjoy. You know, um, 
uh, what I have found that for a lot of people who struggle with addictions, whether that's alcohol or pornography or whatever, getting a hobby can be very helpful. I knew someone one time that was very addicted to pornography and he actually got into model trains and he would build trains and, and, and other people would see them and, and he'd keep them up and like for Christmas and stuff like that. And, and what was interesting is, is, you know, model trains perhaps isn't like a super trendy thing, right? Not very ubiquitous. No, no, no. no. But, but at least he found something that he was interested in yeah. that turned out to be an opportunity to invite other people into something he did. And I would say I would much rather choose someone getting really into model trains than, say, heroin. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or something like that. Yeah. But we all um, need uh, places to output or, or input um, our desires, our energies, our hopes. Um, and not that you can place your hope in a, in a train set, but we need to, uh, to have ways in which we can express ourselves and um, participate in hobbies that can be good. And that might be learning a, a, a musical instrument or uh, learning how to paint. My brother does math. That's, really? Yeah. <laughs> he no way. He sit there and do calculus. Uh, just to keep to keep his mind occupied. With That's great. Yeah. No, I um, I, my kids uh, are in classical school, and so yeah. sometimes I'm I'm trying to. I used to have to memorize Latin. I have a wildlife bi- biology undergrad, and so I used to have to memorize lots of Latin. And so it's it's fun now sometimes to get back into Latin, and, and it's it's yeah. nerdy. It's absolutely nerdy. I'm yeah. very aware, but it's better than a lot of other thinking. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. The, yeah. It's a whole lot more edifying. Than, absolutely. Than, absolutely. Than, you know, doing nothing. Right. Um. Well, Phil, I uh, before we we get done, I was wondering, um, do you have any parting words, any advice, any just anything you want to say to the audience? No, I think um, I think it would be a shame um, if people who are giving themselves uh, for the sake of their fellow brothers and sisters would fall into despair and turn to things that would hurt them. And I think. Um, my hope and prayer would be that those who are truly doing good things would also experience the good fruit of their endeavor and not maybe fall into a, some kind of sin or struggle that would somehow nullify or corrupt it or destroy the other things in their life that are sacred. I think that happens so often is we end up giving ourselves for one thing only to find that if we don't take care of the other areas of our life, they can be destroyed. And I think that's what happens so often for people who very well-meaning people who are trying to do good things for their fellow brothers and sisters in the world. And so I think learning a little bit of wisdom and my hope and prayers is people would pursue wisdom because there's great blessing in that to understand and appreciate that God's good design is far better than they could even imagine. Thank you for those words, Phil. Um, so we've talked about a little bit cleansing ourselves of this sin and you know both you and i are anglicans um, i have mentioned this over and over that i really think that a liturgical sacramental lifestyle is essential for police officers not going to say that you know you can't you can't be a successful cop and do this you know x y and z and not and not have a quote-unquote liturgical lifestyle but i think it's very important and so um instead of giving my uh, normal spiel uh, what we're going to do for our ending is we're going to give, we're going to say the general Anglican Thanksgiving. So, um, Phil, would you mind starting us off? Yes, sir. Almighty, Almighty God, God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all you have made. 
We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen.